0: Welcome to another white-hot edition of Fangraphs Audio. I am Fangraphs contributor and occasional destroyer, Carson Sestuli. On this particular edition of the pod, we invite Daves, Cameron, and Alan to the incredibly circular table, in addition to resident prospect maven, Brian Smith. In this edition, we look mostly at our organizational reports, surveying numbers 21 through 30 in the organizational rankings. I ask Dave Cameron a couple pressing questions, including why, why do this, and secondly, why do you hate my team? We also look at the Nationals' release of Elijah Dukes, revisit Dave Allen's excellent articles on Chipper Jones and first pitch aggressiveness, and finally, we consider Zach McPhee, Arizona State sophomore, and I ask the panel to project over-under numbers for Zach McPhee's all-star appearances. All this, plus the occasionally well-placed insult, on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. It is indeed another episode of Fangraphs Audio. It is indeed another roundtable discussion. Today, joining me around this incredibly and exactly circular table, we have the uh, master of the heat map, Fangraphs contributor. His name is Dave Allen. Dave, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, Carson? I'm doing all right. I'm doing as well as I can. Uh, You will be Allen today because another gentleman we have is Fangraphs editor and my sworn enemy, Dave Cameron. That's you.
1: That is me. Yeah. I, my goal is to really just uh, make you as angry as possible.
0: You're doing a good job. You're Thanks. you're neck and neck with with my wife right now.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, and uh, maybe you can uh, defeat her today. And finally, we have finally. Well, last but not least, of course, is uh, resident prospect maven Brian Smith. How are you doing, sir?
2: Pretty good. I'm feeling the madness of March.
0: Is that right? Yeah, you sound you sound hyped up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got, we got a, a whole bunch of great things to talk about. I think probably the most obvious thing to talk about, because it's been on the site all this week, are the organizational reports that are going up. This, uh, uh, before anyone gets mad at all four of us, this is actually just the, the brainchild of Dave Cameron, and he's uh, he's forced us all to participate. So just let the listener know that in advance. Dave Cameron, I'm going to start with you. My first question has to do with that, and I'm going to ask two, actually, immediately. first question is, uh, why Why the organization reports? I mean, I, they're a fun thing to go about, and of course, they do uh, catch the ire uh, of a number of our readers. So, what, what, do you, what do you hope to come out of the organizational reports? And secondly, and more importantly, why do you hate my team, you jerk?
1: Yeah. So, I think like when I first conceived of doing the organizational rankings, the idea was that, you know, you always see like these power rankings and these things that are like trying to order a team based on how well they're going to do in the current year. Uh And then you see, like, farm system, farm uh values, from, like Baseball America and some of these places that, like, focus on the farm system, but you, like, rarely see an all-encompassing thing. So you have these teams that would, like, fall in between the cracks when they have promoted a whole bunch of really interesting, good young players, so their farm system isn't that good anymore, and those guys might not be good enough yet to win, so they don't do very well in the power rankings but they're building, like, this really awesome core of talent that'll be good in a year or two. And I think, like, the Rays were in this position four or five years ago where they had all these really good young players, and they were kind of overlooked, and everyone was like, ah, they're just the Rays. And I'm like, ah, you look, in a couple of years, they're going to be amazing. And so I wanted something where we could really shine a spotlight on what teams are really set up well to win both now in 2010 and maybe in 2011, 2012, and which organizations are doing uh things the right way, you know, without pulling up the process again, but a really implemented system that will help them continue to win and which teams can really win going forward. And so I wanted something that would just kind of encompass all the value of, you know, current talent, future talent, uh good organization, good financial support from the ownership, good stadium, just really look at the overall health of an organization. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the goal of them. Whether it works or not, you know, it's definitely a subjective thing. There's opinion in there. So we're not calling these like the be-all, end-all, uh, I understand that people can disagree, disagree, and you know maybe maybe they're right and I'm wrong. That's okay. But I think they're fun, and uh, seems like most people enjoy them as long as those people are not Tigers fans.
0: Yeah, well we we can get to that in a second because I think I think Dave Allen actually wrote the uh, the Tigers report. He's on the phone with us. But and the other thing is why yeah why do you hate my team?
1: Yeah, you know I don't actually hate anybody's team. Uh, one of the interesting things about being a baseball writer that all of our fangrass contributors have learned is that you eventually get accused of bias against every single team and you know when i was writing uss mariner when they were terrible i actually got accused of being a bias against the mariners i was uh that was interesting and new so really like i'm not out to get anybody i'm not out to get the astros i don't hate the astros i actually kind of liked them when they had bagwell and biggio and you know there's, there's some good teams i like some of their guys i think wandy rodriguez is really good so like you know i'm not i don't hate the astros i just think they're terrible, and they're old, and they're not run very well. And so, you know, we're just being honest with our opinions. We're not biased against anybody. This is just when we look at it and we stack everybody up, somebody's going to be the worst. And, you know, right now, it's the Astros, and the Royals, and the Nationals, and, you know, these teams aren't very well run. Yeah.
0: Well, actually, uh, uh, Mr. Allen, you wrote the Houston Astros current talent or present talent report. I'm curious uh, about a couple things. What makes a team the worst in the major leagues? And... Is it the worst team in your mind? You know, you wrote the report. Would you have put the Royals first? Uh, what do you think about that?
3: Yeah, you know, I just wrote the report for the current talent, and then Dave sort of synthesized that with the future talent. Uh, and maybe their current talent isn't quite quite the worst. Maybe the Royals are a little worse, or the Blue jerry the Blue Jays. But I mean, either way, they're they're close to the worst. I sort of went and looked at you know where do the fans project them? Where does um and project them, and looked at the different projection systems just to get sort of an idea. And almost everyone sees them as sort of a low '70s win team. Um, what,
0: what's contributing most of that, do you think? Because they have guys like, uh, well, of course, uh, Lance Berkman, you know, is injured, but uh, for, for the time being, but he'll he'll come around. And Hunter Pence doesn't seem to be that bad. Carlos Lee is good, a good batter, and of course they have uh, Roy Oswalt and. Wanda Rodriguez and a couple of good young arms, but what really, uh, yeah, what really, yeah, I think the, the,
3: the problem is that after, after those guys you mentioned, there's really not much left in terms of sort of current talent. Like the rest of the infield is, looks just really bad and Pedro Feliz and Kaz Matsui and then, uh, Tommy Manzella, who could be like below replacement level. Um, uh, and even, even those guys that you mentioned, uh, are good players, but none, none is really, like, a, a true superstar, I would say, anymore. Like, Berkman and Oswald are good, but just like you said, like, Berkman's injured, and they probably aren't, you know, five-win players anymore. Right. Uh, yeah.
0: And you also, correct me if I'm wrong, you did the uh, Tigers, is that, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct, and I think that you maybe had some uh, some people on your case, is that right?
3: I, I haven't seen any people on my case yet. Okay. luckily because I'm local and I don't want the, them to come find me
0: yeah they, they, <laughs> they, could, they could probably do that yeah uh, they could probably do it, at least at your office hours <laughs> 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 that'd probably make one person at your office hours if, whoa whoa, if, whoa whoa okay alright I'm not trying to hate on your students Brian Smith <laughs> Brian Smith you're one of uh, you and Hewlett are taking all of the uh, the future talent uh, entries I'm curious you've you've said this much on the on the pod and uh, in writing of looking at players, looking at uh, players, younger players in a different way, not necessarily judging them by their ceiling. And I think the the sort of Uber example you gave was Barry Bonds. What do the Pirates care when when Barry Bonds is racking up 500 OBP's for the Giants? You know, 12, 15 years down the road. I'm curious if that's an approach that you necessarily take to these future talent reports, or if it's a little bit broader, just because quite frankly, it would take a lot of work to to summarize those for, what, 15 teams or whatever.
2: Yeah, I don't think we're doing it scientifically, but I think when you think about things, about how the list is shaped, you see that a lot of the low payroll teams are on the bottom of the list, and to those teams, their future talent might only apply those first six team-controlled seasons. So I think we have to take that into account with teams like the Royals, who are probably not going to keep their top prospect if he becomes a good player.
0: Right, and so well, of course, Cameron's responsibility is to sort of synthesize these. Were the Astros the worst in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, you know, would you say a minor league system too, or, you know, do they escape that dubious distinction? I haven't,
2: I haven't ranked them all exactly. I think the Astros are in a weird position in the sense that they don't have a lot of, they don't have the budget for the scouting department that other teams do, and their scouting director is also really looking for raw players that could become stars and going off that end. So they don't really have a lot of talent that's major league ready, maybe outside of a guy like Bud Norris or Jason Castro. There are a lot more guys like Jordan Lyles who are years away, but you never know. They could become the foundation of the next good Houston team in 2014
0: or so. Right. Now, Cameron, when you go, you, you sort of are the third step in this process. We have the current talent uh, Dave Allen's done a couple of those. We have future talent, and that's been uh, Brian Smith and Mark Hewlett's responsibility. What do you sort of see as your job when you're writing the third post? Is, is it a wrap-up? Is, is it a synthesis? How would you describe it?
1: Yeah, I'd say a synthesis is a good way to look at it. I mean, you know, like I kind of led with the uh, saying, like, they're not the worst team in baseball, and they probably don't have the worst farm system in baseball, and they're not the worst run team in baseball, but when you have all three of them up, and the meddling owner, and the payroll issues they put themselves in with all these Bloated contracts for uh, guys with no trade clauses who have no interest in leaving Houston and giving them no financial flexibility. When you add everything in, even though they may not be the worst in anything, they're the worst overall. And so what I'm trying to do is bring balance to these things. So, like, I think, you know, current talent probably has to be the most important of anything. Like, if you've got a chance to win this year because you put together a good team, even if you lucked into it and your farm system is terrible, you know, that's going to get you up the ranks a little bit future talent probably not quite as important because of the attrition of prospects and you know you can build the best farm system in the world but uh you might only get three or four good players out of it uh and you need a good management staff but you don't necessarily have to manage the fan way as we'll see the twins are going to rank fairly high on this list and you know they certainly don't do things the way we would do them but that's okay because they've proven that they work and you know so we try and just put everything together and say look if they can win now if they can win in the future if they've shown that they have a formula that works, that will develop talent, that will keep the pipeline going, if they've shown that they have an ownership group that will invest in the team, that is going to pocket all the revenue sharing, uh, then they can win, and so we'll rank them well. And so my my goal is really just to put all this together and say, you know, how healthy is this organization overall?
0: Right. Now, one organization that's probably not at the peak of health right now is the Washington Nationals,
1: and they've been
0: in the news uh, these last couple days here because they've just released... In what I th- at least I'm considering a surprise move, they've released Elijah Dukes. We know that Elijah Dukes has had some behavioral issues, and those were certainly splashed across the interwebs, uh, the sporting the sporting news sites, and probably even you know sites that don't consider themselves quite as concerned. He had some domestic abuse problems, some anger problems, but none of that seems to be the reason that he's been dropped uh, from the from the Washington Nationals. Dave Allen, you wrote the piece on it. Maybe just frame the discussion for us. What you see as possible reasons for why he was dropped? You know, maybe answer the question. You know, it was to whether or not the Nationals tried to trade Dukes and who you see filling in for him. Yeah. So
3: as you said, they the Nationals came out and said it was a strictly a baseball decision. And I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, no sort of new incident has emerged which would sort of Precipitate the drop as a as a behavioral thing, and he has been, I mean, compared to his past with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, a, a little bit better of a citizen um, in the past couple of years. But he he didn't perform so it, it's hard to it's hard to tell what's going on. It but um, if if it's these off the field issues combined with uh, his, his sort of history of the off field issues combined with a relatively poor uh, 2009, and then maybe the Nationals feel like they've got a, a lot of uh, surplus in the outfield, so so they didn't need him. Yeah, It, really, it, it looks like they're going to go with some combination of Justin Maxwell, Mike Morse, and uh, Willie Harrison, right?
0: Okay, and I'm, probably, I'm, I'm particularly interested in Maxwell. <clears throat> Brian Smith, be ready for me to ask you about him. But I'm, I'm going to ask Dave Cameron a question first. Dave, what are you hearing about the possible drop? Because it seems awfully suspicious. He's pretty young. He's not put up great numbers, but they're the Nationals, and if they have a young player they you can develop, then why not try it?
1: Yeah, I think uh, from what I can understand and people that I talked to, this really is just a. It, I mean, it's a baseball decision in the sense of like he didn't do anything uh, to get himself released. So whether he didn't hit the manager or you know like light Adam Dunn on fire or anything along those sorts.
0: Why do you uh, keep talking just, about players being lit on fire? <laughs>
1: Sorry, it's the Bill Simmons joke. I'm trying to run it into the ground. He won't be funny anymore. We can get to his podcast. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think like the thing is, uh, I I would kind of phrase it this way: like having Elijah Dukes on your team is kind of like dating a borderline crazy girl, and you you keep hoping like, hey, she's going to become a little more normal. She's going to grow up, and then eventually, over time, you realize like, no, she's just kind of. And, uh, you know, so with Dukes, I think like, it wasn't necessarily that he did anything. They just said, you know, like, hey, look, he's still kind of immature and kind of annoying to be around, and we, we're still not big fans of his personality, and he's not hitting all that well, and he's not in the best of shape, and, like, really, why, why are we going through the hassle? And so I don't think Dukes did anything, but he, d- he didn't do anything to keep his job either. So I think, uh you know, the patience just ran out. You know, and I think they just said, you know what, we're, we're just kind of tired of this guy. We're going to go in another direction who's maybe a little more low-maintenance, and uh, he might not have the same kind of upside, but at least we want to deal with this other guy.
0: You just compared Elijah Dukes to a crazy girlfriend. You also, I, I believe earlier in the day, correct me if I'm wrong, or, or it happened earlier, I saw at least RJ Anderson posted on Twitter, someone compared BJ Upton to a beautiful woman. <laughs> is, that, uh, I, is that correct? I,
1: I did not see that. I'll get to the bottom
0: of that, definitely. Uh, BJ Upton is, is like a beautiful woman, there's no doubt about it. Brian Smith I got a couple of prospecty type questions to ask of you guys who haven't necessarily done a ton of work at the major league level. First let's start with Elijah Dukes. He's I think he's born in 1984 so that means he's 26 this season. I don't know exactly when when his birthday is uh, but you know I'm willing to celebrate it if, if he's willing to celebrate it with me. is Elijah Dukes does he have an upside? It seems like sometimes he's fast. it seems like sometimes he's uh, you know he's hit for power sometimes he's, he's definitely shown patience. What are, what can he do though?
2: He's a really good young player. I, I sort of have fond memories of him because I saw him play in Durham back when he was there with the Tampa Bay Rays, and he hit the longest home run I've ever seen off Chuck James. It's, his power is immense, and he's super strong. Um, I don't think I think he's grown too much to be able to play center field. I don't think that's the position where you want him. I think you just commit him to the weight room, commit him to be a power guy, keep him in an outfield corner, and he's got that power hitter profile. He can draw his walks, he's going to strike out a lot, but he can also hit a baseball a really long way. And
0: do you see him being a particularly good fit with a club? Uh, I mean, is, does anything you know come to the off the top of your head? Do you think he's going to get picked up right away because people will look past the, the issues, the off-the-field issues, and say, well, this is a good young hitter and he hasn't done anything
2: for a year? Um, in terms of behavioral if, problems I think if teams can talk themselves into Milton Bradley Or in football If they can talk themselves into Terrell Owens I think there's a spot for Elijah Duke somewhere Ultimately talent is what's going to win out And he'll probably have more than a few guys bidding for him
0: Okay, and then uh, we, we heard a couple names I think Dave Allen said Mike Morris might go out to right field Maybe we'll see some Willie Harris But Justin Maxwell a player Has always been exciting to me even though he's, ha- I think he's had some injury issues. You might know better than I. Maybe he's had contact issues as well. But he's kind of, he's got some sweet skills, and he's huge. I think he's like six five. Uh, what else can you tell? Uh, can you tell us about Justin Maxwell and how he might project? You know, at a major league corner.
2: I think the Nationals like him because he went to University of Maryland, and they seem to just love the local connection that some players can bring. He's also super athletic, and he probably could be a better defender in a long season than Elijah Dukes was, but I think offensively he's going to be a little overmatched in the major leagues. He's got every tool a little bit, but I think the strikeouts are going to become an issue in the majors, and I just don't see his offensive profile being anywhere close to where Dukes is.
0: Okay. Dave Cameron, uh, before we move on, I just want to ask you if you've heard any rumblings about a place where Dukes might end up.
2: Well, I think
1: a lot of people have talked about the Mets, because, uh, you know, their outfield is terrible, and, uh you know, but I I would say the White Sox make some sense, too. Uh Their manager is almost as crazy as Duke is, so that could be an interesting pair. Uh And, you know, they're, they're Andrew Jones is their DH, and I think they're going to use Mark Kotze there sometimes as well, and they've got Juan Pierre slotted for regular playing time, so, you know, uh, I think a combination of crazy manager and need for a guy who can hit, uh, you know, the White Sox would make some sense.
0: Okay. All right, well, then moving on now uh, to a guy who definitely can hit, in... By the way, do you hear this transition I'm making? Is it very clear mm-hmm. I'm making a transition right now? Good. Yeah, this is what we call radio magic. Uh, Dave Allen, you wrote about a guy you can hit. His name is Chipper Jones, uh, and you wrote a, a series of really cool articles looking specifically at Chipper Jones and first pitch uh, first pitch aggressiveness, which I think it was an idea that you were borrowing from Book Shambi, who'd written a, a cool uh, guest uh, guest post over at Baseball Prospectus. You were looking at Chipper Jones' first pitch aggressiveness. You think you did a couple uh, or three posts on that. All really exciting stuff. And then I think that maybe you were sort of considering opening it up to uh, other players and to see and to see you know what was going on with them if they changed essentially if they changed their approach based on the situation or based on um, you know based on a particular opponent. Uh, I was wondering if you might be able to summarize like what drew you to that and you know what your some of your basic findings were. Yeah, uh,
3: yeah. As you said, it's a uh, based on a conversation that Chipper Jones had with this uh, Braves uh, broadcaster about um, the fact that he he doesn't see many first pitch first pitches in the zone. Yet he has a relatively high swing rate at those first pitches. And then Jones was, and so the first post just looked and showed that that was the case. Yeah, he sees very few pitches in the zone on the first on the first uh, on the on the first pitch. Second only to like Prince Fielder. But he has a relatively high swing rate um, at those first pitches, Um, and then Jones responded that he did this because he didn't want to get behind on good pitchers. That when you're facing a really good pitcher and you you start off 0-1, you're uh, you're in a big hole. So then I looked and compared his swing rate uh, on first pitches by pitcher FIP, and and just like he said, his his uh, high swing rate is just on those pitchers with a low, low fit. So against the best pitchers, he's swimming, swinging often at the first pitch. And then against poorer pitchers, he, uh, he swings relatively rarely at the first pitch, just like the average batter would. So then I I thought, you know, is this, is this why he's so good or do, do other batters display the same pattern? And it doesn't look like other batters display that same pattern where, um, most batters have almost no relationship between the swing rate and the, um, how, how good the opposing pitcher is.
0: So this is actually a cool situation where you've been able to verify via the numbers like something specific about an actual player's approach and the way it can change situation to situation. Is that right? Is that, is that a fair summation? I
3: think that's a great summation and that's, yeah, I thought what what's so cool about the pieces if I can say that my uh, articles are cool. Yeah, um, do it. Do is, it. Talk yourself <laughs> up. Uh, is that the, that the numbers can sort of back up in a what what the player is saying, and again, if for a player as good as Chipper Jones, it's really interesting to see if he's taking a different approach than other than other batters, and then verifying that with the data.
0: Now, Dave Cameron, I you know I feel like there are other players that have kind of been famous, at least anecdotally, known for known for changing their approach given the situation. The guy I'm thinking of off the top of my head is Tom Glavin, who who I would always say well I pitch differently in different situations you know I'm going to with runners on uh, I'm going to nibble a little bit more and that's why maybe I, I feel like in, in a, uh, as a as an excellent host uh, uh, I've decided not to look up any of this information and just uh, rely on you guys uh, that maybe he had really high strand rates uh, or he outperformed his, his FIPS or x fips over the course of his career Tom Glavin is one guy, are there other guys um, that you can think of, too, that uh, have sort of exceeded their, you know, their peripheral stats or have actually behaved differently in different situations?
1: Well, uh, Glavin's definitely the most notable. Um, has done quite a bit of research on why he's been able to uh, post era better than his peripherals would suggest. Over, you know, I mean his career's over, and he threw well, hundreds of thousands of innings. You know, it was a slight exaggeration, but uh, I you know, also hear really he big...
0: died in a fire. Is that true? Are you yeah. about to say that? And that
1: is not true. Tom uh. Glavin's still alive. <laughs> uh, you know, like with Glavin, we have this really long career. Where we can see that he consistently did this for long periods of time. And he's even talked about how, you know, if he had runners at second and third and one out, he was much more willing to issue a walk and uh, pitch around the batter and not up the home run, and we can actually see that in those numbers where, uh, you know, with the first base open and a runner's in scoring position, thing his walk rate would go way up and his home run rate would go way down. And so it's uh, clear that Glavin was actually doing something different depending on the base-out state, and logically it actually makes sense. I mean, you would think that most pitchers uh, would want to do this. Maybe not all of them are as smart as Tom Glavin to know how or they don't have good enough command, but they would want to do this. You see guys like, you know, Javier Vasquez who continually underperform their fifth, and you think that maybe he should spend off-seasons with Tom Glavin and learn learn how to <laughs> pitch in situations, then could really help his uh, his ERA and his actual performance.
0: Yeah, maybe they could just hang out together and you know, just talk about each other's lives and their dreams.
1: That that might uh, that might work. I don't know if it's through osmosis or uh, exactly how it would work. But Glavin's definitely the most famous of being able to outperform his, his peripherals for long periods of time. There are definitely others, but uh, Glavin's definitely the bo- the best example. And I think what we we see with Chipper Jones and this kind of thing where players do change their approach given the situation, given the context. And, you know, I think the more we get into this stuff, the more guys like that we'll find.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, Brian, you have, I bet, kind of an interesting perspective on this because you're dealing with players, uh, you know, as uh, as a resident prospect maven who change a lot, you know, uh, certainly over over a shorter amount of time than, um, you know, some of the major leaguers we're probably used to seeing. I'm curious as to whether... There are any players who stick out in your mind as guys who've changed their approach, or if you'd like to speak more generally on how approaches have changed. Like I, I know you were writing the future talent, uh, the future talent writer for the White Sox, and you were talking about one player uh, who has—he's a high upside college player, I believe—who who has to cut down on his strikeouts. I forget exactly the player's name. He has to cut down his strikeouts. I'm, am curious. You know, is that something that happens? Does a guy cut down on strikeouts as he goes up to levels? I'll ask you that question first and then we'll do a follow-up with other players of note.
2: Okay, I th- the person you reference is Jared Mitchell who is one of the White Sox top prospects. He got, had an ankle injury in spring training so he's going to miss the year but one thing that I think he'd be well served in doing is spending the year thinking about how his approach is going to change because he does strike out too much. It's He would probably have struck out somewhere between 25 and 30% of the time this season and he would be well served in thinking about how I can do differently What what approach do I want to have on the first pitch What approach do I want to have with two strikes Which is something a lot of coaches talk about And uh, make some practical changes And we do see it a lot I, We see a lot of players that go from 25 to 30% To a more manageable 15 to 20 and And it works for them
0: Now is that a question of And maybe it's all these things Is it a question of coaching like you're saying Is it a, is it a question of changing approach And maybe cutting down on uh, O-swing percentage, or is it, a, is it a question of changing a swing, like an actual mechanical uh, mechanical situation?
2: I think it depends. I think it depends on the player, but I would say the most general thing is breaking ball recognition. In high school and college, you're going to see guys that don't pick up a slider right away, and and they swing at it, and they swing over the top of it. You see it all the time at younger levels. But when you get to the major leagues, you see guys that are willing to wait for that fastball or, or can even guess right and sit on a breaking ball and hit it a long way. So I think that's the thing we see most often. But it can be different for every player.
0: Well, that's a, you know, there's a, there's an interesting change too. And I know that this has been sort of a development among the sabermetric community. Is is I remember a time when a, a player like uh, Esteban Hermann was a sort of a darling of the sabermetric community because he had uh, excellent walk rates in the minor leagues. Or a pitcher, a pitcher uh, example might have been. Uh, like Yusmero Petit, who had excellent strikeout rates in the minors, whereas scouts would have been like, no, no, no he's not going to survive. And, of course, those guys have not had particularly excellent uh, pro careers, or I should say major league careers. And what is the change that goes on between that? Is it is it a, is it on their part, or is it just the competition is changing in such a way?
2: Yeah, I think they're good examples of just showing how good major league players are. I mean, Petit was known for his fantastic strikeout-to-walk ratios in the minor leagues. But I think that almost served against him in the majors because he was in the zone so often the players took advantage of it, and his deception that scouts talked about in the minor leagues and, and some really liked, it just didn't confuse major league hitters like it did minor league hitters. So when he was when he was pitching inside the zone, those hitters are going to punish him.
0: Now, when a scout says, because I do hear that word, and I've heard it used uh, with regard to David Hernandez, who was a guy who is in the Orioles system, uh, he might be on the major league team this year. He came up in the middle of last year. He had crazy strikeout numbers. I think he led, uh, maybe he led his league for two consecutive years in terms of uh, total strikeouts, or maybe it was K per nine rate. But he did not have that same sort of success at the major league level. He's a guy that scouts have, have described as as uh, you know sur- surviving off of deception what does a scout mean when he says that a guy uses deception to strike it out and how does that differ from you know what Naftali Feliz does for example
2: I think the majority of the time what they're talking about is is a pitching motion that's a little different I mean you you did hear about it with Tim Lincecum, too and he's an example of a guy that scouts said had a lot of deception and he got to the major leagues and it was proven true but there are a lot of guys I think that have those great strikeout numbers in the minors and scouts really can't figure it out based on their stuff so they sort of point to maybe it's the way the motion looks to the hitter and the hitter can't see the ball cleanly and that's sort of the easiest explanation when you can't say he has a good fastball, he has a good breaking ball you sort of just point to that
0: Okay, well and I and, uh, you know, sort of discussing the, the idea of the prospect I have one more uh, incredibly pressing question uh, to pose to all of you, and it involves a certain Zach McPhee. Zach McPhee is a second baseman for Arizona State University. Uh, all three of us were at the game versus Auburn. Uh, this was uh, last Saturday. Um, I don't know the exact date. I'm not going to look it up right now, but it was uh, last Saturday. Zach McPhee, we saw coming into the game, at seven triples in ten games. He was 7-7, seven seven stolen bases. I don't know necessarily what his second base is like, Aaron Fitt, though, who's the uh, national reporter for for College Prospects over Baseball America, uh, responded promptly and kindly to an email I sent him. He said that you know McPhee actually is a legitimate prospect. He's small, but he drives the ball. I'm uh, I'm looking for you guys from you guys, an over/under on All-Star seasons in the major leagues from Zach McPhee, and then uh, I'm willing to check this. I'm willing to come back to this in 15, 20 years. And uh, you know we can uh, you know the winner gets a beer or something like that. <laughs> so we'll start with Dave Allen. Dave Allen. Uh, I'm saying Zach McPhee. Over under. Uh, number of All-Star seasons in the major leagues for for McPhee. I think I have
3: to go with zero. Oh, uh, well, I mean I don't know an under over. I think you do. I think you would have to go like zero point five. So but even that you would say what he's just as likely to have one or more than zero. I think he's way more likely
0: to have zero. I I liked you a lot more like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> so you're totally in the doghouse. Brian Smith, uh, Dave Allen's already said zero or 0.5. Where are you going?
2: Well, I was hoping you wouldn't specify major league seasons because I bet he'll be an all-star every year in the Carolina League or the International <laughs> League. But uh, I'm not sure in the American <laughs> League he's going to be an all-star much. So I'm going to go with 0.75 <laughs> So you think there might be a chance he'll get a half He
0: might get a half in all-star season?
2: Yeah, he'll be a You know, someone will back out And they'll just have to go with McPhee Because they love his grinderness <laughs>
0: He is a grinder He is a grinder I think we saw that He's pretty scrappy Dave Cameron, can you help me out here? Can you throw... Can you give me a whole number,
1: maybe? Or, or yeah, I, I think I actually can give you a whole number. I'm going to go with negative one. Like, oh. I think he's <laughs> is so bad in the major leagues that he's going to have an all-star teammate who does not make the team because they're holding it against McSee. I think uh, there's a chance that, if, you know, if McPhee ever gets named to an all-star team, it will come at the cost of a more talented teammate. Uh, and so I'm going to go with back McPhee, negative one. He actually costs his better teammates an all-star appearance at some okay. point.
0: I'm going to have to go with somewhere But I'm going to say... Seven, I guess So six and a half I'll say six and a half I like him for, for I like him for Seven Six or seven All-Star games uh,
1: uh, but are, are you counting have The ones to reckon- where he Purchases a ticket? Does that, does that count?
0: Okay, listen Cameron You don't know anything About baseball
1: <laughs> This is true
0: Yeah You should just look at, Are you looking at a spreadsheet In your mother's basement I, Right now?
1: I, I can pull one up
0: Okay, good Well, this has been great Well, actually I should say It was great up till the end Until you guys uh, Disappointed me entirely But, uh, whatever, I guess I'll invite some of you back in the future. Uh, Who was on the show today? Well, one of the guys was Dave Allen. Dave, thank you very much for your contribution.
3: Thank you, Carson.
0: Okay, great. Brian Smith, you contributed excellently as well. Thank you very much.
3: Thank
2: you, Carson.
0: Great, and also to my sworn enemy, Dave Cameron, even though you've disappointed me beyond words, I do appreciate you making yet another appearance uh, at Audio. Thank you, sir.
1: Yeah, no problem. I don't, I don't know if you should be disappointed when your enemy uh, angers you. Uh, that seems like maybe you should adjust your uh, expectations.
0: Uh, I, yes. It, life is all about adjusting expectations. In my case, lower and lower every day. <laughs> this has been another uh, episode of Fangraphs Audio. I hope the listener is not, not adjusting his expectations lower and lower because I feel like the show is getting better and better. Thank you for joining us. This one, I will remind the listener, or not remind, I'll tell the listener, we're going to have an exciting uh, uh, couple shows this next week. We'll be We will be uh, inviting our Rotographs brothers into the fold. Uh, Please do look on that. That will probably come out Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, something like that, sometime later in the week. Thank you for listening, and please do tune in again.